this crazy dream About some folks who love this country Who all began to dream the same dream And when the morning came There arose across this nation People thinking one and the same And they awoke to find their freedoms And all their liberties Had gradually been taken away And when they realized the danger To their posterity I heard those patriotic people say We want this country back And our freedoms and our rights restored We want this country back She's been driven way off track We're wide awake and we're madder than hell now And we ain't gonna take it anymore No, we're not gonna take it anymore Remember golden days When the stars and stripes forever Symbolize her glorious name America Welcome back folks to another edition of the Concord Lantern I am your host Maggie Rose And I have with me um, Chris Brumbles, my co-host Hello Chris, how are you doing today? And Sir, I had to unmute. Yeah, I'm doing great, and, and it's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, uh, it's wonderful to have you as a co-host. You know, today's date is January 22nd. We are doing this as a live show audio. And before we get started and bringing our very special guest up, Chris, I'd like to do a little bit of housekeeping. And one of those things I'd like to bring up is, uh, and the, the guest that we're bringing in today is going to be able to completely relate to what we're saying. Um, as you know, Chris, over the years, you've been with the Oregon Firearms Federation as the Columbia County coordinator up there in Oregon. Um, I have been involved with the Republican Party. I went to the Constitution Party for about a year and a half, uh, planning to be a county chair, partially because there was so much infighting going on within the Republican Party. And um, I found myself being asked to run for a governor, as you know, as gubernatorial candidate for Oregon for uh, 2022. And, of course, they kept trying to silence me, which means I must have been over the target, right? But um, I was only allowed at the end because of all the hoofa up at the Salem, Oregon, Secretary of State and with another uh, potential candidate. Um, I was only allowed to campaign for two months. And with less than $9,000 and no campaign manager... I traveled all over Oregon and I was listening to people telling me how they were being silenced when they were speaking out, when they were trying to help people and the government didn't want people to know that they existed. And of course, as you know, recently I've come back to the Republican Party and I went to a function the other day um, where they were trying to recall somebody because she had supported somebody that you and I both know, a talk show host and broadcaster by the name of Rob Taylor. And he got fired because a multi-billionaire called to threaten the owner of that studio if they didn't do something, quote-unquote, about Rob Taylor's uh, uh, report, his broadcast radio, that maybe the owner of the studio might find himself in financial trouble. So they fired Rob Taylor. 
And we thought this was a game, Chris, that only the Democrats or Marxists and communists play. But we realize this is happening within the conservative parties, the infighting, the backstabbing going on. And I went to that function. Well, no, wait, wait a minute. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but it is a Marxist ideology. And, and these people may be saying that they're Republicans and they're conservatives, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are. You can exactly. see in New Hampshire, New Hampshire, all the, a bunch of de- thousands of Democrats are changed to the Republican Party just so they can try and block Trump in the caucus. But the thing is, Marxists will they will they want to win at any by any means necessary, no matter what the cost. They don't care if they're well. They think they're they always think they're right, but. It, you know, good, this is good versus evil. It doesn't. It they don't care if they're. They don't care if they hurt somebody or destroy somebody. Yeah, and I know. And the thing is, is whenever I did my radio shows, I was never calling out people. Um, I, you know, there was there are the people that, the names that you know, Larry and Cherie and so many others. I never got up on my radio shows and and lambasted them or Paul. Uh, who was going after everybody and anybody. I never did that, even though they were trying to, you know, slander us on on uh, social media constantly. But, you know, something happened when we came away from that meeting the other night. Um, Michaela, um, she won. She was not recalled, thank God. And one of the things I did, Chris, is I stood up in front of everybody there and I said, you know, I'm back with the Republican Party. I'm not a PCP right now. But it's really interesting how you guys are trying to recall her Without any evidence, they refused to present evidence of why they were trying to recall her. And they were asking the PCPs to vote on recalling her without actually presenting to those PCPs any evidence of this. And I said, you know, years ago, we had evidence on the secretary of the party and we had evidence on the PCP chairman that was one and the same. And you guys asked her to step down and you tried to recall her and she refused to go. In fact, she took off with everybody's address and phone number. Um, that she possibly could, which is an abuse of her position. Now, it's so I called him on it yet the other day in at that meeting. And um, I found out when I got home that the day before the Republican Party, not not the one, the faction that broke away because of the shenanigans, but the actual ones that actually caused the damage, that they had a huge meet and greet free benefit uh, to have the four candidates that they like the candidates they want to come and present a little talk and all the other candidates had to have a table in the back and their letter that went out said the other candidates will not be allowed to talk or present their platform only these four that we've chosen and the other candidates have to put their propaganda on the back table now can you imagine calling flyers and 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 name business cards propaganda this is what this republican party in douglas county did and when you walk in the front door they had a sign-in thing with a bunch of information and they put down there if anybody disrupts this thing it was wine and beer and free hors d'oeuvres if anybody disrupts this then these people have to be removed and here are the potential problems and they named rob taylor as a potential problem. They named me as a potential problem. They named three of the candidates that they don't want to endorse their support as potential problems. To me, this is slander, defamation of character, and they had it out there for the entire public to read this as well, it came in the front a, door. It's an opinion. 
It's not slander. It's an opinion. Yeah. Well, the the thing is, is it is is basically um, defamation of people saying these are potential problems. So what I'm saying is, is we're bringing a guest up today who has been outspoken. Mm-hmm. He has been serving the people in Canada. Uh, what with his what they call the street church. He was supporting the truckers during that whole fiasco uh, where Justin Trudeau and the Canadian government were trying to close down the truckers from United States as well as in Canada. And we're going to bring him up, and he's going to tell his story. For those of you that have not heard him when he's been on Chris's and my program before, and before I bring him up, I want him to know that we have a, a group called We the People 2. And um, We the People 2, the website is www.wethepeople2.us. If you go to www.wethepeople2.us, you can find more about what is going on across the United States for people standing up for the U.S. Constitution and their own state constitution. And uh, I happen to be the uh, Oregon State Manager for that, um, there's been a lot going on, so I haven't been involved during all the illnesses and the different things that have been going on, but I'm going to be getting more actively involved. And I wanted the person who's our guest to know that we have listening right now. We have Steve, who is a Christian man outside Cottage Grove. Uh, we have Pastor John Padella and Pastor Dan. Now, Pastor Dan is out of Coos Bay, Bandon, Oregon. <coughs> He was one of those that started uh, Citizens for Restoring Liberty, and he has a church called the Restoration Worship Center. Again, that's called the Restoration Worship Center out of Coos Bay, Bandon, Oregon. His name is Pastor Dan, and I'm pretty sure he's listening to the show today. And we also have a Pastor John Padella, P-A-D-U-L-A. Now, how I met uh, Pastor John Padella was that he was down on the border where the invasion is taking place. He was down there with uh, Jonathan Alexander Townsend and the others who were basically trying to monitor the situation. Pastor John Padella is hailing out of a place called Kootenai, Idaho. That's C-O-O-T pronounced K-N-E-E. I don't know the actual spelling of the town, but it's pronounced Kootenai, Idaho. And Pastor John Padella is going to be running for county commissioner there in Idaho because we need some we need some conservatives Christians uh, to be uh, running for public office and he is a pastor up there in Idaho and so I want to put a shout out to Steve Pastor Dan and Pastor Padella so with no more ado Chris uh, would you like to be the one to introduce our very special guest please no go go ahead go ahead Maggie. Okay, um, this is Pastor Arthur Palowski. He's out of Calgary, Canada. Um, Pastor has been attacked by the Canadian government. He and his brother, I remember seeing a video one time um, after he and I had already done a show together and we've been in contact where he was literally being arrested in the middle of a freeway. Uh, if I recall properly, at one point they put him in jail on a cold floor uh, with no mattress. I think at one point they might have brought a Bible into him. But this man has been attacked left and right for doing God's work. And I'm, I'm with no further ado, I want to say thank you, Pastor, for coming back on the Republic Broadcasting Network and being with us here today. Thank you so so much for having me on your show. 
Well, you know, you and your family have been through so much. And I think the thing that really shocked me, and I'm going to let you tell the story in your own words leading up to this incident. But the shock that came to me was one night I got a phone call that somebody had deliberately tried to burn you and your family alive in your home. Would you share that story? Yes, we have been actively opposing the infringements on our uh, rights for a very long time. I mean, this is not um, when the so-called pandemic started. This attack on our liberty started a very long time ago. So I was very well known uh, to the Canadian government and to the people in Canada. And when the big lie, as I call it, started, uh, the chief of police and the mainstream propaganda machinery did a big heat piece on on me. I became the first COVID um, recipient of the ticket, the COVID ticket, as we call them, for feeding the homeless. So the story went all over this country, and the attack was every single week, every time we were showing up, the authorities were sending police officers threatening us with arrests. They were um, health inspectors, bylaw services, you name it. So we would end up in a news almost on a regular basis. And the politicians got involved vocally. And one of them, the premier, premier of Alberta is like your governor, publicly attacked us and me personally slandering, attacking. And that triggered an ongoing hatred and attack on our church. So during one of those incidents, I was physically attacked. I was ticketed, police in and out, detectives, RCMP, health inspectors, you name it. And our church was vandalized for nonstop for three months. I don't know if you're familiar. During that time, about 70 churches were burned to the ground. And what they did but they would um, vandalize our church. And then one day, my wife is looking out the window in the middle of the night. We got three children. They were already sleeping. And she said, well, there is uh, some kind of commotion. I see the light. So I thought I'm going to be arrested for feeding the poor in the middle of this attack on our liberties. Uh, we have about fifteen to 20,000 homeless people we're dealing with on the streets of Calgary. We have a huge crisis. And when I received a letter from the authorities telling me I cannot feed the poor anymore because of the uh, pandemic, I uh, sent them a letter saying, you people do not make any sense because if we're truly in the middle uh, of a greatest crisis this country has ever seen, my services are needed more than ever. Um, what is going to happen to those individuals if you are shutting down shelters and soup kitchens, you just don't make any sense. They will turn into crime. They will whack your grandma's head. They will break into your grocery store, into a car, into a garage, into a house. They will get necessities of life this way or that way. Um, it's better to feed them and figure it out what's really going on. Of course, no one replied to me. No one cared. I appealed it to the premier. I appealed it to the ministers. No one even cared to reply. So they unleashed this attack. They vilified us in the media that we are grandma's killers, that we are jeopardizing the lives of the Calgarians, etc. You know, the regular 
the uh, regular attack that they were using at that time globally. So one day in the middle of the night, my wife saw those lights and we thought, okay, police is coming to arrest me. They have arrested me many times before. I faced over 340 citations, over 120 court cases. And um, right now I have been arrested almost 20 times. Uh, all of those arrests were, of course, um, are, you know, the arrests were tied to me working as a pastor. So either feeding the homeless or preaching the gospel or reading the Bible. In 2006, I uh, became the first Canadian to be arrested for publicly reading Bible in a public park without amplification. Just to few of our parishioners, the police said that's now against the law. Um, and we got all kinds of laws against Christianity right now. You cannot criticize homosexual behavior. You cannot convert people to Christianity. You are not allowed to feed the poor. Giving free goods and services is prohibited by law. We also are not allowed to distribute printed materials, Bibles, gospel tracts. Those are the laws that were implemented in Canada against our rights and freedoms and against Christianity. So going back to the fire, it turned out they were firefighters outside. So I said, well, it looks like I'm not going to be arrested. It looks like my uh, our neighbor's house is on fire. So I went out and it turned out it was our house that was burning. And it was, it was not for our neighbor that caught the fire when it started. Uh, we would probably be burned to death. The chief firefighter told me that a week before they had a very similar situation and a whole house burned to the ground within five minutes. Um, so what happened was someone lit the house on fire trying to murder us. And that was not the first attempt on my life. Um, our uh, truck's tire was unscrewed. I was physically attacked. Um, I was threatened with pistols, knives. Our church also got lit on fire. Our church's children's bus was completely burned to the ground. And uh, like I said, our church was uh, vandalized every single week for months. We were in the middle um, we were all over the news during that time, being portrayed as murderers, uh, as people that are, you know, haters, um, all kinds of different names they were calling us because we just simply kept the church's doors open and we kept feeding the homeless people. Wow. Now, when you and your brother were arrested that one time after you and I had last spoken, and you guys were arrested in the middle of the, the freeway, literally. Um, when they took him and you to jail, did they release him right away uh, before you? Or what happened with him? No, but first of all, let's go back a little bit. Um, this harassment on the streets for our soup kitchen was going on for a year. So I became the first... You know, I got the first COVID ticket in the country beginning of 2020, and that's how it continued for the entire year. I think at the culmination of the story for 2020 happened when Canadian government declared that they're canceling Christmas. I don't know if you remember that time, but they went all over the news and they said um, just a few weeks before that, we had the same people telling children to have a great time during Halloween. And then a few weeks later, 
the same people went on television and they said we are canceling Christmas. You're not allowed to have dinners, no festivities, um, no churches. You cannot have even your <coughs> brother for coffee. No family dinners at, at all. So I went on television as well and I said, you people are crazy. You can't cancel Christmas. You cannot cancel God. I'm canceling you. And I invited people to the biggest Christmas celebration in the land. And, um, and guess what? Thousands of people showed up. We had triple-A stakes. We had hundreds of gifts for the homeless. We had a truly an amazing Christmas celebration. But oh, we, wow. also, we also had over 100 police officers, 52 police cars, anti-terrorists, chief of police that came to harass, intimidate. And because it was Christmas, they came bearing gifts. According to them, I broke every law that there was, and I endangered people's lives. We did something that, according to them, was unthinkable. We were singing Christmas carols. During that time, Canadian federal, provincial, and municipal government prohibited us from singing. No one in the country was allowed to sing, and we hired carolers. So we had singing, we had music. And the police gave me 15 COVID tickets for that crime worth millions, millions of dollars. The chief of police showed up as well. Uh, Anti-terrorists, it was a gong show. It was absolutely insane. So that's 2020. Then they started to harass us and intimidate us in our church building. So I am a pastor of two churches. One is called Street Church on the Streets, where we conduct church services for the poorest of the poor, for the homeless people, for those that normally would not go to a regular church. And I also pastor a church in a building, like your regular church building, where we do the same thing. We sing, we worship, I teach history, theology, and we congregate. So they started to come and attack our congregants in the building. And the first thing they did, they blocked our driveway. Out of all the things they could do, they, they blocked the driveway trying to prevent parishioners from coming to the church. Of course, the parishioners just parked somewhere else and they came to the church. Um, then they came with the telescopic cameras. They started to take pictures of our children, of our women. And at that time, I started to call those people Gestapo and Nazis. Because if you know anything about history, you know that those were exactly the tactics of... Um, of any, actually, those are the tactics of any totalitarian regime. If they can't take the man, they will intimidate that man by threatening his family, his children, his wife. Um, of, of course, the famous things that I remember from childhood is, um, you know, KGB, a Polish version, because I grew up in Poland uh, behind the Iron Curtain under the boots of the Soviets, was, you know what we can do to your 13-year-old daughter? You know what we can do to your wife? You know, just use your imagination. We know where she works and she might disappear for a week and we can do all kinds of things to your daughter, to your wife. So those were the tactics that I observed being used under the boots of the Soviets. And of course, I learned about those tactics from my grandparents because they survived the Nazi regime. So I started to simply tell them, look, people. You change your uniforms from blue to black. You are muzzled like monkeys. 
you look more and more like the Gestapo of old. What is Gestapo? Gestapo is a political police. In other words, the police at that time was not protecting the rights of the people. The police was not working for the people. The police was working for the government. Then the government was a totalitarian regime. Therefore, anyone that opposed that regime became a target of Gestapo, a political police. So I was trying to make people aware that what I am observing in our beloved Canada is the same thing I remember from history and I observed under the boots of the Soviets. So that's that was my intention. Of course, they didn't like that. And they came with a vengeance. And one day, 2021, April, our holiest time of the year, Passover celebration, those officers, bylaw services, health inspectors, and who knows who else was there because they didn't have any badge. They were in their plain clothes. They entered the holy place without a warrant, with, you know, breaking the criminal code of Canada, section 176, 1, 2, and 3. They were trespassing. They were not allowed to come in, but they did it anyway. And at that time was Passover, so I had on my heart a message of Moses let my people go, the message that he delivered to the Pharaoh. I call them now the wannabe Pharaohs. So what I said to them was simply get out. Get out, you Gestapo. Get out, your Nazis. Get out. They wanted to have a conversation with me. They wanted to inspect the facility. They wanted to intimidate the people. And I would just have nothing of that. I kicked them out. And eventually, after over 30 times when I told them get out, they leave. I recorded the conversation because I have been charged over 340 times and I have been dragged before the courts over 120 times. And I'm telling you, those officers of the law, in quote, have absolutely no problem making stuff up, manufacturing documents and lying to the judges. Absolutely, they have no problem to do that. They will not even blink an eye. So I am used to recording every interaction with the authorities just in case they will say I attacked them, that they would say I did something to them. Well, I have a recording and that saved my life multiple times because I was accused of all kinds of crimes against authorities. And if I did not have the recording, I would probably still be in jail or dead. Um, so going back to the story, I recorded it. I posted it for the people to see around the world what is going on. Of course, I did not expect. I did not expect that this will go viral and that video, those few minutes of my interaction will be the number one video that was played during that time on Earth, watched uh, over a billion times in just a weekend. And um, the government uh, was greatly embarrassed, I was told later and they, they they decided to finish me off so few weeks later they went to the crooked judge uh the judge's name was uh, david gates and i don't know if that uh, gate is related to your devil bill gates but david <laughs> gates of alberta he uh, a judge a crooked judge gave them the power to enter our church anytime they want with whomever they want to so the anti-terrorists showed up. I kicked them again. They showed up again. I kicked them again. I filmed everything, Was uh, went viral again. 
And then they went to the boss of the judges. This crooked guy's name was um, John Rook the Crook, as I call him. The judge of Alberta, John Rook the Crook, he uh, was at that time the um, associate chief justice for the entire province. So like boss of bosses. And he gave them the power to arrest anyone that would dare to oppose them. And that's where the arrest came from. So when the anti-terrorists showed up, our church was packed, standing room only. They opened the door. I have a film of that. It, It was actually crazy. They opened the door. They realized, okay, this is going to be a bloody war. How are we going to drag this preacher from the pulpit? I was already preaching. And uh, hundreds of people packed the the church. So they realized this is not going to go our way. So they waited for the people to go home. I went to the car with my brother David, and we were stopped in the middle of a busy highway. We were told we are under arrest. The charges were absolutely insane. We were charged with inciting people to come to church, officiating an illegal gathering, participating in illegal gathering, and... Um, we got arrested. I got arrested in the middle of the highway in rain on my knees, hands behind my back. I was tortured by the police, roughed up, placed. Let's hold right there, Pastor. We're going to come right back after the break. Folks, you're listening to Arthur Polowski, Pastor of Calgary, Canada. You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. Homeowners, if your lender has gone out of business or sold your transaction to another lender or servicer, you may be the victim of a wrongful foreclosure resulting in the loss of your home. If you've already lost your home, are in foreclosure, or even in good standing, you can challenge the mortgage transaction's illegal issue and your property can be restored to you, and your foreclosure can be stopped or reversed and the mortgage transaction declared unenforceable. State laws, U.S. title codes, the Uniform Commercial Codes, and U.S. Supreme Court rulings have upheld that defective mortgage documentations can reverse or stop foreclosures and enforce property title claims in favor of the homeowner. We are having successes in stopping the process of foreclosure, the enforcement of the foreclosure judgments, the sale of property, and evictions after the sale. We are not attorneys, and we don't give legal advice. We are a professional team of legal researchers, providing forensic mortgage audits and expert witnesses. We have the knowledge to produce the evidence and enforce laws regarding your legal issues. We've been in business for 12 years without a complaint. Consultations are free, and we provide a free title search to confirm if your mortgage has legal defects. Email tom at republicbroadcasting.org. T-O-M at republicbroadcasting.org. Hello, hello, hello from beautiful Colorado. My name is Samuel Jung Kay, and I am currently the lead Shiloji hunter and master herbalist for Colorado Shiloji Company. In this video series, I will be discussing what we believe is the greatest of all adaptogenic superfoods and the single greatest natural healing remedy gifted to us by Mother Earth. I think you too will become as excited by this incredible substance called Shiloji as we were and are after our discovery of this amazing gift right here in beautiful, colorful Colorado. You may already know Shiloji by other names. Shilojit, Momio, Momi, Mami, Mineral Pitch, Asphaltum, and others. Shiloji literally translates to destroyer of weakness and conqueror of mountains. Shiloji has been in use for thousands of years. 
and is considered as the highest valued cure-all of any earthly substance. Look for the gold mountain and medical symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org to watch the full video and see more information. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N. People often write to tell us what has happened for them since starting Extendivite. Allow me to read a few highlights. Extendivite works in keeping my blood pressure in the normal range. I have been using Extendivite for many years. Great product. I use regularly and I rarely get sick. This product has relieved what appeared to be angina pain in my chest and shortness of breath after climbing stairs. I'm quite happy about it. My husband, son, and I have been using this product for a few months now, and we have noticed an improvement in our joints and blood pressure. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Extendovite. Welcome back, folks. This is Maggie Rose, and you're listening to the Concord Lantern, named after the Battle of Concord and Lexington during the Revolutionary War. I have in the wings here my co-host, Chris Brumbles. Uh, at the uh, end of the, near the end of the second hour, we may be taking calls uh, from those of you that are interested. So that will be probably during the last half hour of this two-hour show. Uh, you are hearing from Arthur Palowski. Uh, he is the pastor uh, that has his own church in Alberta, Canada, in a place called um, Calgary. He also did the street church, taking care of the homeless. Now, folks, I've done my research before we go back to his story. Um, I happen to know that uh, there's a huge population in Canada and, and we don't want to pick out any particular racial group or any particular religion. But it's interesting that especially in his town of where he lives in Alberta, Canada, in the place called Calgary, that uh, at one point, I don't know if it's still true, he'll be able to enlighten us on this, but the governor there or the mayor, whatever it is they do in Canada, uh, was Muslim. And there was a huge population of Muslims in that town. Now, isn't it interesting that Christianity is under attack, not in just other places around the country and the world, but also there where he was. And it was interesting that during the COVID pandemic, when I was doing my research as a journalist, I discovered that the people that were of the Muslim faith or the Muslim religion or practice were allowed to have their gatherings. They were allowed to have their parties. They were allowed to have their weddings. But I was hearing stories from my friends up in Canada um, that they were not allowed to. And so there was this do as I say, but not as I do, this hypocrisy and this double standard. In fact, folks, by the year 2030, I understand that just the Muslim uh, population alone will double, reaching approximately 2.7 million. And I believe this is pushing a lot of Christianity off to the back burner. So um, hopefully the pastor will be able to correct me or or um, explain to us a little bit more about that. But, Pastor, we'd like to go back to the story where you and your brother were arrested on the freeway 
in the rain. You were taken to jail. What happened after that, Pastor? Yeah, just going to what you were saying, you're absolutely right. During that time, the Muslims were left alone. They did their Ramadan. They did their, um, you know, congregations, um, outdoor, indoor. Um, I filmed that, actually, because when we got released from jail with my brother David, a friend of mine, a counselor, called me and said, look, look uh, you should take your camera and go to the mosque and have a look what's going on over there. So I went over there and there was thousands of Muslims gathering, no police presence, no Alberta Health Services, no bylaw services, no tickets, no arrests, no social distancing. Most of the people were not wearing a muzzle um, and they were singing, they were preaching and uh, no issues whatsoever, no problems uh, whatsoever. When I talked to the police, about this, they were told, we were told to stand down. We were told not to get involved at all. So we just got arrested, um, brutalized by the police. I was actually escorted to prison upside down. They pushed me um, in a, a very small cube van, police van, upside down, my head on the ground, my feet sticking out to the roof. And that's how I was transported. Uh, they stopped in the middle just to look uh, outside, they stepped outside of the vehicle and they looked inside and they were laughing because I was transported in such a weird position and they had a great time laughing and talking about it. Uh, we were placed in prison cells on concrete, me and my brother David. We were not provided with anything, um, no uh, bed, uh, nothing. Three days, two nights, we spent in prison. On Monday, we were taken to see a judge. And to see a judge, we were shackled, forced to go like penguins, the penguin march, and we were taken to the judge. His name was Adam Germain. Adam Germain is a failed politician. He was running for the political liberal party, in Alberta, Liberal Party is like your Democrats in the United States. So the same thing, and he failed, he was not elected, and uh, the government, Liberal government, gave him the position of a judge. So uh, there's no partiality here. He is biased, he hates Christians, his party hates Christians, and he started his proceedings by saying, we're in the middle of pandemic, this and that, and I turned to my brother David and said, look, he doesn't sound like a judge. He sounds like a CNN, CBC reporter. He is just parroting what the government is saying. We don't stand a chance. This is a sham, a show trial. And, um, of course, later on, I was proven right. We were taken back to prison, and that's where I decided to go to the States because my brother asked me in that cell what I'm uh, what am I going to do right now? And I said, I have no idea. I mean, we're dealing with the highest corruption I have ever seen. And I guess we have to share the story with Americans because that's what's coming their way. You see, Americans, you think that the piece of paper, so your declaration of independence, your constitution, your amendments is going to protect you. You just don't understand history. The tyrants do not care about your piece of paper. You must care about your piece of paper. You must rise up and stand up for your rights because the villains will come and keep taking 
all of your rights. And of course, the First Amendment and the Second Amendment, I mean, all of your amendments are under attack right now, left and right, because those types of individuals, the wannabe pharaohs, as I call them, they don't care about law and order. They don't care about human rights. They are monsters. They are filled with demons, monsters, haters of patriotism, haters of our countries. They're globalist, demon-filled, evil, wicked monsters. So going back to the story, we were released on bail, and I took my son Nathaniel, and we decided to go to the States. During that time, this is an interesting part of the story, because during that time, no one was allowed to travel. When we uh, bought the tickets and entered the airport, it was a ghost town. No one was flying. No one was, nothing was going on. But I believe that I've heard from God that told me, go and share your story, warn Americans. And that's exactly what I did. And behold, for whatever reason, by a miracle of God, the guard, an American guard, led us across the border and let us uh, fly to United States and I went to Colorado Spring first, and then I visited probably most of your states, just going everywhere. Uh, at times, I was speaking a few times a day. At times, I was flying three different planes and, um, and, and shared my story, warned Americans, because America is the last bastion, if you will, is the Alamo that stands against the villains, the globalist hate. America. Globalists hate everything that America used to stand for. The freedom, the liberties, the, you know, happiness, pursuit of happiness, the we, the people, all those things are very hostile to what they are planning to do, the new world order. Um, what you have in government is what we have in our government, which is a bunch of traitors that <coughs> should be charged with treason. So, Eventually, I had to come back. I mean, I was supposed to go to the States for a few weeks. I spent four months going from one state to another, from one meeting to another, and just warning Americans, look what they're doing to Canadians. You're next. Rise up. Stand up. Unite. Push this great evil. You still have a window of opportunity. You can do it. If you don't do it today, you might end up in prison like me. You might end up like the political prisoners that we still have to this day in our jails. And of course, I was right. Look at the January 6th people. Look what they, <clears throat> this administration is doing to you. So I uh, eventually decided to come back. I called my lawyers and I asked them, is there any warrant for my arrest? Is there anything happening? And they said, no, no, nothing is uh, happening. You can come. I um, boarded the plane. And I guess during that time when I was in the air, they activated multiple warrants. When I arrived in Calgary, I stepped out of the plane and I was arrested on a tarmac. I've oh never seen gosh. a man. Oh, my gosh. I've, I, I have never ever, unless in a Hollywood productions, I have never seen anyone being arrested either in plane or on a tarmac. So um, I was arrested, taken by the customs, threatened, arrested by the police, taken to jail, and then charged criminally. This time I was charged criminally for the same offenses, I guess, inciting people to come to church, officiating an illegal gathering, participating in illegal gathering. I was criminally charged for baptizing my daughter in a public park, in a river, 
I was uh, charged criminally for not wearing a muzzle and um, released on bail. Of course, at that time, I have become, as they used to call me, the Canada's pastor, the freedom pastor. I attended every rally. I organized rallies. I, you know, we had 15, 20,000 people showing up every week. I attended other cities. I helped organize and and um, I formed a political party at the same time called Solidarity Movement, based on the Solidarity Movement in Poland that I witnessed in the 80s growing up. And I think that's what scared the Canadian government the most. When the truck convoy came, I was already arrested multiple times. Um, I was arrested driving with my wife in the middle of the night for attending a rally. I was arrested with my brother David in the middle of the snow under a bridge in the middle of the highway again, for attending a rally. And we're talking about peaceful protests, peaceful rallies, where, where I would tell the people to, to stay peacefully, that I would tell them this is not the fight with guns and swords, this is a civil rights movement, this is solidarity style, Mahatma Gandhi style, Martin Luther King Jr. style, civil rights movement, peaceful resistance, no compliance. And um, when the truck convoy came, I was very well known internationally and, of course, in Canada. So they called me and they asked me if I would be willing to feed the trackers because that's what our church does. We feed thousands of people. And also if I would be willing to conduct a series of church services for the trackers. And, of course, they did not have to ask me twice. I did it gladly. I did a church service in the evening. Uh, my volunteers, the church, my wife cooked an amazing Chile, we fed the people, we brought truckloads of food and all kinds of things for the truckers for them to be able to take to Ottawa. Ottawa is a capital of Canada. And um, what was the intention of the rallies and the truck convoy? It was to, to force the government to sit down with us. It was to force the government to acknowledge that we have a grievance and we would like to discuss this with the government. It was to tell the government that what they are doing is illegal and wrong and it's hurting Canadians. That was the intention. Of course, everything was always peaceful from the very beginning. And then coups happened. So a portion of the truckers, and we had over a million people, some say over two million people, Canadians that participated in a truck convoy. And um, they went to Ottawa. I was supposed to go with them. But, you know, thank God for women. Uh, sometimes, most of the times, they are smarter than we are men. It's like my wife always says, look, that's why more men are being born, because you're stupid. You always kill each other. And, um, you know, women um, sometimes have this wisdom, I believe, that comes from God, because she says, okay, so all men will go to Ottawa. All of you will go to the capital. Who's going to stay behind? Who's going to organize rallies here? Who's going to push the government here? If all of you go, who's going to stay with us, women and children? And she made sense. So I said, okay, fine. I said to the leadership, you go to Ottawa. You put pressure on the federal government. We keep pressure here. And every province and territory will do the same thing. And that's exactly what happened. When Kutz and Milk River opened, what is Kutz? Kutz is a point of entry between Montana and Alberta. It's a border town. And the farmers and the truckers decided to put pressure 
on the Canadian government pleading with the American government at the border. And when they called me, they said, listen, there are uh, police officers dressed just like Nazis, all in black, uh, in all the full gear, tactical gear, pointing machine guns at our children praying, uh, playing street hockey. Pastor, can you come and cheer us up? Because it's looking really, really dire here. So I took my son, Nathaniel, my oldest son. I took our worshiper. We packed the car with food and speakers, and I went to Milk River. Milk River, Milk River is about 15 kilometers from Kutz. That was the RCMP blockade. RCMP blockade, RCMP is like your FBI. So they blocked the street, preventing people to go to the border. So I did the church service there for the truckers and the farmers. There was a lot of people over there. And here's what I observed. The truck convoy was the most amazing, peaceful uprising in the history of mankind, I would say. We had Bansi castles, street hockey, kids were playing. There were horses that people brought, cats, dogs, barbecues, um, you name it, fire pits. It was absolutely incredible, the solidarity. I witnessed people feeding each other, praying with each other, crying with each other, hugging each other. A color didn't matter. Uh, a faith, uh, a religion didn't matter. What mattered was a Canadian flag and patriotism, everyone was doing this for their children, pushing this great evil that crept in our land. I did the Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper is our Holy Communion. We were singing hymns, national anthem. I gave about 20-minute sermon to the farmers and the truckers. It was minus 30, I think minus 35, was extremely cold. And I went, believe it or not, to the RCMP. So again, like your FBI, I went to them and I said, listen, I would like to go to Kutz and do the same thing. And believe it or not, they opened the barricade for us and they allowed us to go to Kutz. So we set up in a Smuggler's Inn, which is a restaurant there on the border. We were not blocking anything. We were not causing any trouble. We went and I delivered a 19-minute sermon. We were singing hymns. We did uh, Lord's Supper again. Uh, I was praying for people, and we sang National Anthem, and I delivered 90 minutes sermon. What did I say that scared the government that they charged me with terrorism? I told the Canadian people to stand for God and state-given rights. I told them to do it peacefully. No guns, no swords. I reminded them about history that I witnessed growing up under Solidarity Movement. I told them there is more of us than of them. They don't have enough police officers to stop us. If Canadians decide that we are taking back our nation, we can do it without a problem. They don't have enough resources. I witnessed that in Poland, where 50,000 communists were ruling over 36 million Poles until the 36 million Poles said enough is enough. So that's what I told them. But I told them three times during my 19-minute speech, peacefully. And RCMP was there, undercover police were there, not a biggie. They monitored me in and out. I was being, you no, know, my cell phone to this day is monitored by authorities. Uh, but they probably listen, they're listening to this um, talk as we speak. Um, another problem, I have nothing to hide. And um, we went back, not stopped by anyone. RCMP let us go home. We went home and I attended a rally 
on Saturday, I went to another one on Sunday, and then Tuesday, I was to go back to Kuds with politicians. I have political friends, uh, politicians, very experienced people, and I told them I'm going to bring them to Kuds so we can force the government somehow to sit down with us and to listen to us. Because at this time, no one was willing to sit down with the truckers and talk, talk things over. Uh, it was just machine guns pointed at, at, at all of us. So, Oh, wow. Tuesday morning comes. I think that was the 8th 8 or the 9th of February. I stepped out of my house waiting for the politicians, friends of mine, to come. And I didn't know, of course, at that time that I was being monitored 24 hours a day. And there were undercover police waiting, monitoring every move. So when I stepped out, suddenly the police started to run. They blocked the entire street. And I'm telling you, this was the greatest takedown of El Chapo of Calgary, Al Capone of Canada. It was everyone there. Undercover police, uniformed Calgary police, RCMP, so FBI, uh, detectives, special SWAT team, anti-terrorists. Everyone came, blocked the street, and I was handcuffed, arrested, interrogated, well, tortured first. I had bruises for over a month. Over a month when I was taken, stripped naked, taken to jail, um, I said to the nurse, I want pictures of my bruises. I want an evidence. And they laughed at me and said, no, no, we're not going to take pictures of this. So that's how corrupted the system is. I was interrogated by the RCP. So again, your FBI uh, for hours and taken to Riemann Center, stripped naked, taken to solitary confinement. I spent, and, and again, I was charged. Here is the bizarre part of the story. I was charged with terrorism. I was charged with inciting mischief and a breach of release order. Overall, I was facing many, many years of imprisonment. Of course, all the charges were criminal. Taken to isolation, I spent 25 days, no, 45 days in solitary confinement my Bibles were confiscated. They would not give me my reading glasses. I was um, later on, of course, coercion, threats. Um, they wanted to force me with injections, um, tests. They threatened they will inject me forcefully, uh, feed me through the tubes because I was fasting. Um, all kinds of rights, religious rights, human rights were broken. I was taken from my solitary confinement to a concrete cells. No water, no washroom, no bed. And then 45 days later, I was kidnapped, literally kidnapped by sheriffs, shackled like a dog, taken into a box, taken to hundreds of kilometers away from Calgary, my city, without the knowledge of my lawyers, without the knowledge of my family, to a max spot. Before they did that, I was denied access to my lawyers for three weeks. And even when finally I was allowed to see my lawyer, uh, my documents were confiscated and a conversation, which if you know anything about law and order in a so-called free and democratic society, um, there's something called um, a confidentiality, a privileged conversation between a client and a solicitor. That was yes. denied to me. I was forced to talk to my legal representation through a phone and every two minutes, 
we were being notified that the phone call is being recorded. Then oh, on, on, on top of that, there was an officer listening to every word my lawyer was saying, completely uh, illegal. I was taken to MaxPot. What is MaxPot? MaxPot is a facility for the most dangerous terrorists in the country. I was placed there, and believe it or not, I was the only inmate in solitary confinement, freezing conditions, minus 28 on the outside, and so-called freezing, shivering, could not sleep, could not function uh, on the inside, guarded by three guards. I received a letter from the administration that I am considered extremely dangerous, therefore I am to spend my time indefinitely, forever, um, in solitary, no human contacts. Um, they also uh, told me that I'm not allowed to have a pen because I'm considered too dangerous. At that time, I'm telling you, at that time, I was there for 23 and a half hours, only 30 minutes. I was allowed out of my cell to take a shower and make a phone call. And I called my wife and I said my goodbyes. I think for the first time in my life, I realized I'm not coming out. I think they intend, their intention is to murder me here. You know, I froze to death and there was nothing they could do or something happened to me. Um, why am I saying this? Because at this time, we already had a testimony of five different inmates that testified to our lawyers that the guards were giving them incentives to murder me and uh, or to severely beat me up in the Calgary's Remont Center. So now I'm in Edmonton, hundreds of kilometers away, in max spot, freezing conditions. So I said to my wife, I think this is it. I think I, I fought as hard as I could, but I don't think I'm going to uh, come out alive out of this ordeal. And my lawyer sent a letter to the judge. When the judge learned what is happening to me, and that was a good judge. There's still good judges, not many, but there's still good judges. Um, We're going to be right back, Pastor, folks. You're listening to Pastor Arthur Palowalski. And on the other side, we'll come back to the show. We want our liberty and our dignity and our freedoms and our rights restored. We want this country back. Right, and our victory's on the way, and we won't give up the fight till we hear 200 million say, We want this country back. We ain't just joking, Jack. Kilad Atzman says the essence of Jewish power is the ability to prevent the discussion of Jewish power. Jewish power requires anybody in politics to understand it and know about it, but never talk about it. My awakening really sums up with the very best evidence, the facts and the truth about race and the fact that race drives history and the truth about the Jewish question. The younger you get, the greater the percentage of people who identify as alphabet soup, you know, LGBTQ, RS. This woman, she's like, oh yeah, I identify as a koala two years ago. And I'm like, what? A koala? What? Maybe if it was quickie koala, that might be cool, but otherwise, you know. How about an inward pass? Have you ever received an inward pass from any of your black friends? 
Biden invited a drag queen to come for the signing of the Respect for Marriage Act. It's the Respect for Anal Sex Act. So, you know, I mean, let's, let's, let's just call it like it is. The Patrick and Jeremy Show, Tuesday at 9 Central and Wednesday at 1 Central. You're listening to Real Talk Radio, only on the Republic Broadcasting Network.